welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. In local news headlines, Dyersville Library participates in Free Tree Program. Deadline Dyersville, Iowa. James Kennedy Public Library in Dyersville is participating in the 13th Annual Neighborhood Forest Free Tree Program. The program aims to provide free trees to kids every Earth Day. Those interested in receiving a tree can register and find more information at bit.ly slash nftrees. Split Dubuque County Board appoints longtime employee as county recorder. Story by Benjamin Fisher at thmedia.com. Carol Kennedy will fit the, fill the residency created when John Murphy resigned as of January 3rd after being reelected last year. Kennedy had been serving as the county's deputy recorder and has worked in the county recorder's office for 32 years. Supervisors Ann McDonough and Harley Potoff voted for Kennedy's appointment. Supervisor Wayne Kenneker voted against it. Our employees are our greatest asset, Potoff said. I think giving a current employee the opportunity to broaden their horizons is also an opportunity for cross-training. It would also save the county a substantial amount of money over the next two years. Given the current situation with the budget and legislation, that carries a lot of weight with me. Kennedy will continue the work she's been doing as deputy while also assuming the recorder's duties. With her appointment, Kennedy's pay will increase from that of a $80,055 salary as a deputy paid 85% of the recorder's salary to a $94,182 rate, salary rate for the remainder of the year ending June 30th. The Board of Supervisors has not yet voted on increases for elected officials in the next fiscal year. Kennedy plans to cover her previous duties as well as her new duties and to not fill the deputy recorder position, in essence saving that salary plus benefits to a tune of around $100,000 according to the County Human Resources staff. McDonough previously announced her support for Kennedy's appointment and approached Monday's meeting ready to move ahead. Kennecker continued to have concerns about Kennedy's appointment. I don't doubt Carol Kennedy's ability to do all the tasks that are in the County Recorder's office and to do them well, he said. One of my concerns is stacking the two positions together. Kennedy was one of five applicants for the vacancy. Also applying were Keith Lucy, who ran for a quarter in 2022 as an independent candidate and was topped by Murphy. Murphy. Former County Supervisor Dale Klein, a 12-year, uh, 12-year City Council member, Kurt Kiesling, and Ma- Mona Monternacht, a retired longtime employee of several county departments, including the recorder's office. Kennedy's appointment will run through the end of 2024. Just before taking her oath of office after Monday's Board of Supervisors meeting, Kennedy said she was not concerned about the workload she would be adding. Once we get three new employees up to a good training, spot training-wise, we'll be back in the flow of things, so I don't have those concerns at this time, she said. I'm thankful for the opportunity to continue what we've been doing in serving the public. Kennedy already participated in her new department's Budget development for the coming fiscal year, which will begin July 1. Learning some of that new duty from Murphy and County Auditor Kevin Dragato, who technically held the recorder's role since Murphy's departure. Attending and photographing Kennedy swearing in was longtime and now retired County Recorder Kathy Flynn Thurlow. She said Kennedy had her full confidence and support. Carol started in the office even before me when she was a high schooler, said Thurlow. Well, the office for 22 years, beginning in 1992. She knows every aspect of the job, and she's a quick learner. Carol Kennedy, she's age 48, residence Dubuque, 
Family includes three adult children and four granddaughters. Relevant experience, 32 plus years of experience in the Dubuque County Recorder's Office, beginning as a high school intern in 1990. Her hobbies include spending time with her granddaughters and eating chocolate. Flex Steel's quarterly net sales decreased 34% year over year. A Dubuque headquartered manufacturer on Monday reported a 34.4% decrease in net sales during its recently completed quarter compared to the same time period one year earlier. Flex Steel Industries reported net sales of $93.1 million for its second quarter, which ended December 31. That's compared to $141.7 million during the same period in 2021, according to a press release. Despite a challenging macroeconomic environment, I'm pleased with our second quarter results, said President and CEO Jerry Dittmer in the release. However, Flex Steel recorded $2.9 million in net income during the recently completed quarter, compared to the net loss of $7.5 million during the prior year's second quarter. We will continue to make smart, pragmatic investment to drive product and innovation, operational efficiencies, improve our customer experience, further furthering our competitive position, and driving us towards our long-term vision for the company, Dittmer said. Company officials will discuss a quarterly report during a conference call today. Coverage of that call will be shared on Telegraph.com today and in Wednesday's print edition. UD Lecturer Highlights Tensions, Relationship Challenges Caused by Social Media. Story by Kaylee Reese at THmedia.com. Max Stossel compares using social media to playing a slot machine. We can't predict when we get that feel-good reward from using social media, so we just keep checking and checking it, he said. As human beings, we say, social media is good, social media is bad. I think that's not a good framework. But in these social media apps, we have things that make us feel good, so we end up gambling our time and our lives away. Stossel delivered University of Dubuque's Spring Michael Lester went character lecture on Monday night at Heritage Center. Stossel is the founder and CEO of Social Awakening, which focuses on how sharing social media and technology impact people's lives. In an interview with the Telegraph Herald prior to his speech, Stossel said he has given presentations on the effects of social media to middle school, high school, and college students for about eight years. I don't come in as an adult wagging my finger saying, you kids in your phones, but as someone saying, let me show you how some of this stuff is designed and how it can be difficult to manage, he said. Social media platforms add extra complications to the relationships of young people, Stossel said. For example, some apps allow for people to see their friends' locations and who they are hanging out with, and many apps show if someone opened a message without replying. Even just in text messages, sometimes when people see a period in text messages, they think it's a sign of aggression that the other person is angry, but not everyone feels like that, he said. It's a recipe for a lot of misunderstanding, and if you've learned how to do that from a young age, there's not as much practice in real-world communications. Stossel also spoke about how social media negatively impacts self-image, especially when people seek a validation by seeing how many likes or views they've had on a post. During the lecture, Stossel gave tips to help stem some of the negative feelings that come from social media. For example, he said people can be happier on social media by training an app's algorithm through liking and interacting with social, with desired kinds of content and blocking or muting unwanted content. Tussle also recommended buying a physical alarm clock instead of using one on the phone to prevent scrolling through the phone first thing in the morning. 
Nick Hubbard, a freshman at UD, said he was interested in how big of an impact social media and technology really has on everyday tasks. There's so much that we don't realize technology has taken over in our lives, he said. There's a lot of negative aspects and it can be harmful. And social media only shows you certain posts or information. So for us, we don't always get the big picture. No dangerous materials found following investigation into threat at Hempstead. Dubuque police investigated a threat of a, quote, possible explosive device, end quote, Monday at Hempstead High School, but no dangerous or explosive material was found. Lieutenant Brendan Walsh said officers received a call at 11.17 a.m. stating that there were, quote, harmful devices planted outside of the school. Hempstead Principal Lee Colker wrote in a message to families. Police immediately analyzed the call and began investigative steps, including a preliminary sweep of the building exterior by the school resource officer unit. Given the information received on the call, it was determined by police that the best course of action was to move the school into an external lockdown and to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the campus. School maintained normal operations inside during this time. As a precaution during the investigation, the Dubuque Police Department K-9 unit did an exterior sweep of campus. During the sweep, the K-9 officer indicated the possible presence of dangerous materials. Following protocol, students and staff were relocated within the building to establish a safety perimeter. The Dubuque Police Department and Dubuque Fire Department maintained this perimeter and ultimately determined that there were no dangerous items on campus. Police concluded their search up at about 4 p.m. The incident is being actively investigated as a criminal act, states the police department press release. Threats of terrorism, especially involving Dubuque students, are taken very seriously. Both the Dubuque Police Department and the school district are working to identify the caller in this case. A charge of threat of terrorism is a felony punishable by up to five years in prison upon conviction. Anyone with information on the incident should call police at 563-589-4410. Anonymous tips can be submitted to the City of Dubuque Police Department. Individuals can also call Crime Stoppers at 563-588-0714 and can qualify for a monetary reward for information leading to an arrest. Gilligan shares an awards for community journalism story by Amy Gilligan, Telegraph Herald, Executive Editor. It's that time of year again when we find out how our work at the Telegraph Herald stands up against our peers. The Iowa Newspaper Association's Better Newspaper Contest for 2022 is judged by the North Carolina Press Association, and winners were announced at a banquet Thursday night. For the second consecutive year, the Telegraph Herald won first place in general excellence among large daily papers in the state, this time in a tie with the Cedar Rapids Gazette. In the sweepstakes category, the newspaper was the highest point total among all general excellence winners. It was the Ackley World Journal, a newspaper in the smallest category of weeklies, that edged out the TH and Gazette as newspaper of the year. As ties go, I'm pretty happy to be in the running with Cedar Rapids Gazette, a fine paper and another employee-owned newspaper like ours. Let's hear it for independent community newspapers. One of the best things about this honor is that all the journalists in our newsroom contributed, as well as our advertising and marketing departments. We won awards for writing news, sports, sports and features. We won in multiple categories of photography, slideshows, and videos. Our headlines, our layout and design, and our graphics earned accolades. Judge, judges recognize excellence in our coverage of business and cops and courts, as well as our continuing news coverage of the culture within the Dubuque Fire Department. 
work that garnered two other awards as well for Kaylee Reese. Readers know our longstanding legacy of excellence in photojournalism that was underscored this year by Stephen Gassman, who won a handful of awards, including Photographer of the Year. Mike Day, a 35-year employee of the TH, got well-deserved honors for a premium magazine we published last year. The Tri-State's one-room schools, which Mike painstakingly researched and produced and readers love. It's hard to find words to say how proud I am of this team. Often we use this column to highlight the work we're doing in climbing the bell for community journalism. I believe it's absolutely that important. You've read the coverage we have done, holding elected officials accountable, digging to find truths hidden behind bureaucracy, tracking the spending of taxpayer dollars. You see us every week reporting on new and expanding businesses growing in our area and highlighting people who are making a difference in our community, doing good works. We know that there are good, great things happening in Dubuque and the tri-state area, and we tell those stories every day. That is our mission, and I see every day how hard our team works to achieve it. She goes on to, to say how grateful she is for the hardworking journalists they have working alongside everyone, and thank you for reading the Telegraph Herald. Task Force recommends $110 million project for Dubuque Middle School Consolidation. Story by Elizabeth Kelsey at thmedia.com. A task force on Monday night recommended that the Dubuque Community School District construct a new school at the site of Washington Middle School as part of a plan to consolidate the district's middle schools from 3 to 2. The task force of district staff, school board members, parents and community members, along with representatives of Waterloo firm Envision Architecture, recommended to constructing a new middle school to serve 1,200 to 1,250 students at the site at 51 North Granby Avenue. Under the proposal, the site also would be expanded by acquiring several nearby residential properties. Project costs are estimated at $110 million to $120 million, plus land acquisition costs. The number one thing is to bring equity to the middle school education and facilities, said School Board Vice President Lisa Whitman, who served on the task force after meeting, after the meeting of the district's facilities and sports services committee. School board members in April approved a goal to consolidate the district's middle schools from 3 to 2. No later than the fall of 2026, consolidation would result in a reduction of approximately $3.4 million annually from the district's operating budget. Last fall, District officials held community meetings and shared potential site locations for the consolidation, largely centered around the expansion and construction at Washington. Following the meetings, community members were asked to complete a survey about the proposed options. Task Force member John Wiedemann said that about 600 people responded to the survey. In total, 63% of the respondents said they felt constructing an entirely new facility at the Washington site would be the best choice for students, and 57% said they would support that option. In the fall, proposed construction or expansion plans in Washington had included the district's acquisition of the current Dubuque Community YMCA slash YWCA site, a nearby 7.8-acre property off Booth Street, community, Dubuque Community YMCA officials, YMCA Y slash YWCA officials have sought to construct a new facility for several years. However, Laura Peterson, educational planner with Envision Architecture, said after Monday's meeting that the task force opted not to pursue acquiring that property because of the inherent disadvantages of splitting the school across Grandview Avenue, as well as district's desire, quote, and not to marry their timeline to another organization's timeline. A fresh start. 
Task Force officials now propose constructing a 225,000 square foot facility on the current athletic field at Washington and demolishing the current school. The district would need to acquire five nearby residential properties on 2.8 acres to the west of the school at a cost of about $1 million, which would become parking spaces. The school's new athletic field would sit on the footprint of the current school building and a bus drop-off lane would separate the school and field. The final size of the site would be 11 acres with a, quote, dense stack school building to maximize space, according to Peterson. Holman said the task force would like to see the design of new school pay homage to the current design of the current Washington and Jefferson Middle Schools. If we can reuse parts of these schools, some of the facade, for instance, we think that the community could be, get behind that and really appreciate the nod to the history of those buildings here in town, he said. Peterson said the recommended course of action would end with Jefferson no longer serving middle school students, but it has not yet decided what the district would do to the school at that point. In the fall of 2022, there were about 620 students at Washington, about 460 at Jefferson, and about 1,100 at Roosevelt Middle School. After the meeting, School Board President Kate Parks indicated her support for the recommendation. It's always hard to say goodbye to a building in those kinds of situations, but I think being able to imagine the possibilities is exciting. And two, and I think this proposal is really setting us for the best possible situation for our students, she said. Board members also heard a form from Tim Oswald, Managing Director at Piper Sandler Companies, about funding resources for the project, which could include the quote, securing an advanced vision for education save fund as well as general obligation fund. You can't accomplish the scope of a project you're talking about without a general obligation bond vote, he said. The save fund just doesn't have that capacity. Oswald suggested the district could pay for the project through the general obligation bond of $101.3 million and $32.6 million in save funds. He also suggested that this spring, the district should raise the property tax levy rate back to the fiscal year 22 level, which was 14.6 per $1,000 of taxable valuation. The district's current tax levy rate of $13.91 per $1,000 of taxable valuation set in April 22 was the lowest the district had seen in 15 years. Oswald said returning the property tax rate to the fiscal year 22 level would mean the average resident would see an annual tax increase of $48.52. He said the average value of residential property in the city of Dubuque is $176,000. $976. If district officials raise the property tax rate now and a bond issue were to pass, the rate would, then would not need to increase further as a result. The first time that district officials could put a bond issue on the ballot for voters to potentially approve would be in September. After the meeting, Superintendent Amy Hawkins said board members will hear another presentation at their regular meeting on Monday, February 13th, and likely will take no action on the consolidation recommendation at that time with potential action to come at the board's March meeting. First Residence in Dubuque Long-Term Care Center's New Wing Story by Benjamin Fisher, THmedia.com Administrators of Sunnycrest Manor, the Dubuque County-owned long-term care facility, have announced that the first phase of its long-sought renovation is complete, and the first 10 residents are now in rooms there. Leon Goodwin is a resident of one of the new rooms created by Sunnycrest Renovations. On Friday, he said his new accommodations are, quote, quite nice. He has big plans to begin guitar lessons and has a Fender Electric and amplifier plugged in near his window. There, he will be able to long concerns of his favorite, learn the songs of his favorite band, Kiss, with a clear view of the forest 
surrounding hills, sunny crests, hilltop property, and plenty of room to move. Construction crews began work on phase one of what will be a $40 million renovation at Sunnycrest in early 2021, once COVID-19 cases dropped in the community and health regulations allowed them to do so. As of January 20th, 10 residents were able to fill the new rooms. Some, like Jim Rondo, had occupied rooms in the two-floor wing before its renovation, so they had sort of a homecoming. This is just a lot nicer, as Rondo said. Compared to this, the last room felt like a cracker box. There's plenty of room to move around now. I get a north-facing window so the sun isn't blurring in at all times of day. They did a great job with it. The new wing's completion came at a good time for Sunnycrest, according to Administrator Danny Atema. Our east-west west renovation has been a positive and a negative, she told the Dubuque County Board of Supervisors at a budget session last week. Our census is down because of that, but the first phase is done and we're moving into the second phase. The facility census or resident headcount is one factor that determines Sunnycrest revenue. Finance Director Emily Gosh said demand has climbed back from lows during COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. COVID has caused census and nursing homes to go way down. Now it is back again, she said. We will look to fill those beds as much as we can to capacity, so we will see that there will be a need for sure. During the budget session, Supervisor Ann McDonough accentuated the need for long-term care space in the community, but also sought, sought a thoughtful play pace of filling them. We know there is a care center in Makokota that's abruptly closing. We see pent-up need, too, because Unity Point Health Visiting Nurse Association contracted for public health work in Dubuque County has 75 seniors and disabled folks on their waiting list for in-home health assistance, McDonough said. I want to be collaborating with you about what sentences would be the best before we just accept more folks. Gosh told supervisors that Sunnycrest census is 56, but once all three phases of the renovation are complete, it would be 77, its capacity before work began. Crews are already working on demolition in the renovation second phase, pulling steel out of the second floor, floor story from the outside with machinery on Friday afternoon. Adama said phase two is, is expected to be completed at the end of October, with a smaller third phase to be completed by the end of March 2024. Sunnycrest is facing other problems resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, which had made building its budget for the fiscal 2024 difficult. Namely, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has been reimbursing nursing home services based on 2018 cost estimates since that year. Gosh explained, CMS normally sets reimbursement rates every two years. Fiscal year 2018 was a rebasing year. Fiscal year 2020, because of COVID, they decided not to rebase, she told supervisors. So we are being paid rates based on fiscal year 2018 costs. Historically, the supplement is not drastically different because our revenue goes up as our cost goes up. But it is usually two years behind, and now it is four years behind. And Gosh said Sunnycrest expenses had gone up $140,000 in the year since they last presented a budget request to supervisors. But Sunnycrest staff requested no more county funding than in the last fiscal year, other than wage increases, which will be considered at a later date. Sunnycrest requested $2.64 million in county contributions for fiscal year 2024 toward a budget of $13.79 million, which would be an offset by $11.05 million in other revenue to Sunnycrest. Moody's downgrades bond rating for Dyersville. Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. Dyersville bond rating has been downgraded by Moody's Investor Service. The city's 
Rating for its outstanding obligation, unlimited tax, G-O-U-L-T bonds is now A2, a downgrade from A1 according to a press release. The city also received an issuer rating of A2. The release states that the issuer rating reflects quote, the city's narrow fund balance ratio driven by a negative net current assets and business type activities. The rating also considers Dyersville strong liquidity primarily in the city's economic development tax increment financing fund as well as the city's quote solid full value per capita and resident income and moderate leverage and fixed costs. Divided Dubuque City Council backs speed camera, a story by John Cruz at thmedia.com. A divided city council late Monday night agreed to move forward with a proposal to install automated cameras in Dubuque to issue speeding fines. Council members voted 5-2 to two to approve the proposal brought forward by Dubuque Police. The vote was taken after 10 p.m. Council members later this month now are expected to consider an ordinance that will dictate how the cameras will operate and penalties to be imposed. City Manager Mike Milligan said it will be presented at the next council meeting on February 20th. City staff still have not determined when the cameras would be installed, what roadways they would be placed on, and how the fines would be determined. Mayor Brad Kavanaugh was joined by council members Susan Farber, Laura Russell, Rick Jones, and Danny Sprank in voting for the proposal. They all said cameras will encourage motorists to slow down and drive more safely. We don't want any of our families to be hurt, Sprank said. I'm sorry if this sounds heavy-handed, but it seems like this is the only option that we have left. However, council members David Resnick and Katie Wethel argued that the proposal was rushed by city staff and lacked the details needed to allow council members to make an informed judgment on the use of automated traffic cameras. We haven't done our due diligence, Resnick said. This is going way too fast for as huge as this is going to be for our citizens. During the meeting, Police Chief Jeremy Jensen, Jensen argued that the cameras will both improve overall traffic safety in the community and help the police department compensate for ongoing staffing shortages. As of Monday, the department had 13 vacant officer positions. Speed is a choice, plain and simple, Jensen said. I'm asking drivers to voluntarily slow down. However, several residents spoke out against the proposal and argued that the city was rushing ahead before it had done enough research. This short notice, in my opinion, makes for bad optics, said Dubuque residents Rob McDonald. Citizens will wonder why such an interesting ordinance is forward and approved so quickly. Other residents argued that the cameras would not properly address the police department staffing shortages. The speed cameras are not the answer, said Dubuque residents Neil Henson. I understand that we need more officers. I would like to have more officers, but the cameras are not the answer. Jensen said the city would choose where to install the cameras based on crash data, traffic volume, and complaints submitted by residents. A memo to city council members lists several locations as potential camera sites, including the Northwest Arterial, the intersection of Dodge and Local Streets, US 61-151, and the corridor of Central Avenue and White Street. When implemented, the cameras will be installed and maintained by a third-party vendor, which would receive a percentage of camera-issued fines. Jensen said the vendor likely would cover nearly all the camera installation and maintenance costs for the city. Van Milligan said he will recommend that revenues from the cameras go towards traffic safety expenses, such as traffic light maintenance. He also plans to propose allowing citizens who receive a citation from the cameras to reduce the fine with a community service. City staff did not provide an estimate, 
for how much revenue the cameras are anticipated to generate, but Jensen and other council members insisted that revenue is not the reason the city is pursuing the use of the cameras. It's not a money grab, Jones said. I don't care if we make a nickel out of this. While Resnick agreed that the cameras are not being installed explicitly to generate revenue, he argued that the fines issued by the cameras will bring in money to the city while creating an expensive, unexpected financial burden for some residents. Our citizens are the city of Dubuque, Resnick said. If they drive like everybody else in Iowa, we're going to have millions of dollars collected on the ticket cameras that are not spent on local restaurants, local arts, and businesses. There were 1,510 traffic crashes in Dubuque in 2022, including six fatal crashes. Of those crashes, 439 were caused by a failure to maintain control, a category Jensen said includes crashes caused by speeding, though he could not specify the number of crashes where speeding was the main contributing factor. Studies examining, examining the use of automated traffic cameras have shown them to reduce crashes. After Cedar Rapids, Iowa installed automated traffic cameras along a portion of U.S. 30, 380, and 2010 crashes with injuries were reduced by 62%, and overall crashes fell 37%, according to a report from the city. A study by the University of Illinois Department of Urban Planning and Policy also found that Chicago's implementation of automated traffic cameras reduced fatal crashes by 12% from 2015 to 2017. Galena Territory Association will hold presentation on tree identification. Dateline, Galena, Illinois. The Galena Territory Association will host a public presentation on how to identify trees this weekend. The event will be held at 1 p.m. Saturday, February 11th at Galena Territory Association's Club Lounge, 2000 Territory Drive, according to an online announcement. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. The Iowa on Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituary. Agnes H. Claus, Dateline, Nuvana, Iowa. Agnes H. Claus, 89, of Nuvana, passed away Monday, peacefully Monday, February 6, 2023, at the Good Neighbor Home in Manchester. A visitation will be held from 3 to 6 p.m. Wednesday, February 8, 2023, at Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville. Visitation will continue from 9 to 10 a.m. Thursday at the funeral home. A mass of Christian burial will be at 10.30 a.m. Thursday, February 9, 2023, at St. Boniface Catholic Church, Nuvana, with Reverend Gabriel Mensa officiating. Burial will be in the church cemetery. Angus was born on October 9, 1933, in Nuvana, the youngest child of Joseph and Celia Oberbrockling Claus. She was raised in the family farm near Nuvana and remained there with her brother Ray until purchasing a house in Nuvana. She attended St. Boniface School, graduating in 1951. She worked for many years at the Nuvana Savings Bank, making many friends. In her younger years, Agnes enjoyed traveling, taking numerous trips around the United States with her friend Betty Clement. Highlight was going to New Orleans to see Pope John Paul in 1987. She was a member and volunteer at Nuvana Area Historical Society. Agnes had strong faith that she carried throughout her life, especially her last year. She was a last living member of a generation of 80 Oberbrockling first cousins. She survived by six nieces and nephews, Janet Mike Morrow of Mesa, Arizona, Lois Chuck Vosmeyer of Wacon, Cheryl Don Cass, Far, Farley, uh, Don Cass of Farley, Daryl Kim Claus of St. Louis, Missouri, 
Judy Randy Winter of Marion, and David Michelle Claus of Nirvana. She was also survived by 13 great nieces and nephews and 14 great great nieces and nephews. She was preceded in death by two parents, two sisters, Clara Claus and Alma L. Rolfs, two brothers, Ray and George, Bertha Claus. We would like to thank the family. We would like to thank the compassion staff at the Good Neighbor Home for the Care they provided to Agnes over the last decade and Megan from above and beyond hospice care. And Little Flowers Memorial may be given to St. Boniface Church in New Vienna. Online condolences may be left for the family at www.kramerfuneral.com or send cards to the family in care of Kramer Funeral Home, 750 12th Avenue, Southwest Dyersville, Iowa, 52040. Joseph L. Lewis, Dickeyville, Wisconsin. Joseph L. Lewis, 96, of Dickeyville, died on Saturday, February 4th. 2023 visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 9th at Miller Funeral Home in East Dubuque, Illinois. Arrangements are pending. Stanley J. Wetter, Cuba City, Wisconsin. Stanley J. Wetter, 84, of Cuba City, Wisconsin, passed away Saturday, February 4th, 2023. A massive Christian burial will be held at 9.45 a.m. Saturday, February 11th, 2023 at St. Rose of Lima Church, Cuba City, Wisconsin, with the Reverend Bernard Roth officiating. Burial will be in the church cemetery. Family and friends may call from 3 to 7 p.m. Friday, February 10th at Casey McNett Funeral Home and Cremation Services in Cuba City, where there will be a parish scripture wake service at 2.45 p.m. Friends may also call from 9 to 9.45 a.m. Saturday at the church prior to the service. Stan was born on February 2022, 1938 in Galena, Illinois, the son of Robert and Martha Folks Welker. Wetter. He served in the United States Navy. Stan was united in marriage to Janet Murphy on August 4, 1962, at St. Barnabas Church in Mazamani, Wisconsin. They then moved to Cuba City, where they raised a family and were married for 60 wonderful years. Stan was employed at John Deere Tractor Works for 30 years. He enjoyed snowmobiling, plain euchre, moral hunting, and was an avid fisherman. Stan was a wonderful mechanic who loved tinkering with cars and fixing anything. He also enjoyed taking care of his lawn. Above all, Stan cherished time spent with his family. He and his wife, Janet, enjoyed traveling, going out to eat, car club with friends, and going to the casino. Stan is survived by his wife, Janet Wetter, Cuba City, four daughters, Kimberly, Nicholas, Muller, Cuba City, Janet, Patrick, Rundy, Libertyville, Illinois, Paula, David, Wedge, Spring, Green, Wisconsin, and Kara, Christopher Curran Madison, Wisconsin, a son, Gerald Suzanne Wetter, Lindenhurst, Illinois, three sisters, Kathy Simon, West Palm Beach, Florida, Chris, Gary Haas, Lancaster, Wisconsin, and Linda Dan Pelgrin, Verona, Wisconsin, a brother, Steve Kim Wetter, Dubuque, Iowa, 12 grandchildren, four great grandchildren. He was preceded in death by his parents, three sisters, Roberta, Judy, Joan, and a brother, Bill. In lieu of flowers, a Stanley Water Memorial Fund has been established. Memorials may be sent to the funeral home. Online condolences may be left at www.caseymcnett.com. Ronald C. Leffelholz. Ronald C. Leffelholz, 83 of Dubuque, passed away Saturday, February 3rd, 4th, 2023. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, and after 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. Thursday, February 9th, 2023, at Leonard Funeral Home Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road. Funeral services will begin at noon with Father Martin Obang officiating. Burial will follow at Mount Olivet Cemetery. 
Ron was born on February 8, 1939, in Cuba City, Wisconsin, the son of Charles and Viola Curtis Lovells. He married Carol Betcher at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Dubuque. Ron worked for Dubuque John Deere for many years until his retirement in 1992. He was a member of the UAW Local 94. Ron and Carol had great passion for horses. They were members of the MVRA Saddle Club for over 50 years and were certified quarter horse breeders by the AQHA. For over 40 years, they sold many horses throughout the U.S. and in foreign countries. He also enjoyed spending time with his family and just being outside on the farm and riding his gator. Later in life, besides his passion for horses, he became an avid golfer. He even helped work with many young golfers at Cole Acres. He was survived by his children, Brian Jean Leffelholz and Jody Marty Carney, his grandchildren, Amanda Brandon Blakemore, Katie Fiance Cruz, Leffelholz, and Cole Kearney, a great-granddaughter, Paisley Olive Dubuque, a sister, Ruth Ann Patterson of Cuba City, and a niece, Michelle Patterson. He was preceded in death by his parents and his wife, Carol, on November 29th, 2022. The family would like to thank Lisa and Lori from your, By Your Side care, care, the nurses and staff at Manor Care and Hospice of Dubuque for all the care they gave to Ron. Here are some local funeral services. Catherine Thomas Dwyer, Footville, Wisconsin, service 10.30 a.m. today, Cincinnati Mound, Cincinnati, Wisconsin. Paul E. Ferry, Dubuque, visitation 9 to 10.45 a.m. Wednesday, February 8th, St. Francis of Sales Catholic Church, Hazel Green, Wisconsin. Massive Christian Burial, 11 a.m. Wednesday at the church. William Glasson, Galena, Illinois, gathering 10 a.m. to noon Friday, Saturday, February 11th, for Long Funeral Chapel, Galena. Anita R. Gudenkoff, Cascade, Iowa, visitation 9 a.m. today, Rife Funeral Home, Cascade, service 10.30 a.m. today. St. Martin's Catholic Church, Cascade. Maxine A. V. Menadou, Dubuque. Visitation, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Today, Hoffenschneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road Service, 1 p.m. today at the funeral home. Maxine V. Power, Dubuque. Visitation, 4 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, February 8th. Eaglehoff, Segret and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road and from 9.15 to 10.15 a.m. Thursday, February 9th. Our Redeemer Lutheran Church, service 10 at 30 a.m. Thursday at the church. Thomas F. Scholl, Dubuque, visitation 3 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 9th. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 10th. Holy Ghost Catholic Church. In other local news, Look, here are some local law enforcement reports. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Department reported Jeremy R.D. Williams, 34, of 605 Bluff Street, number 203, was arrested at 3.49 a.m. Saturday at Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on charges of possession of methamphetamine and intoxication by drugs. A case of an unauthorized use of a credit card resulted in the theft of $884 was reported at 10.06 p.m. Friday in the 2800 block of Hadley Court. Here are a couple of additional obituaries. William Bill John Meyer, 95, of Dubuque, died Saturday, February 4, 2023, at the Mercy One, Dubuque. 
Medical Center in Dubuque. Visitation will be from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 9th, 2023 at Hoffman Schneider Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory. The Mass of Christian Burial for William will be held at 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 10th, 2023 at St. Patrick Catholic Church with Father Dennis Quint as celebrant. Burial will be in Dubuque Memorial Gardens in Dubuque. Full military honors will be rendered by the American Legion Post. Number 6. William was born April 5, 2027 in Dubuque, Iowa, the son of Leo Chief Peter and Florence Messing Meyer. On February 8, 1950, he married Shirley Jane Sinhold in Dubuque, Iowa. He graduated from St. Columkill's High School in 1945 and attended college at Dubuque, led Loris College in Dubuque. He was a graduate of Dale Carnegie School of Management. Bill served in the United States Navy from 1944 until 1946, where he was stationed in Manila during World War II. Bill was a lifetime member of St. Patrick's Catholic Church, the Knights of Columbus, 510, and Qantas Clubs. He was a member of the American Legion for 75 years, where he served as a commander in 1995. He was one of the original members of the Coma Golf Course, refereed basketball for 35 years, was a member of the Dupaco Supervisors Group, and Holy Name Society of St. Patrick's. Bill is also in the Kiwanis Fast Pitch Hall, Softball Hall of Fame and Dubuque Fast Pitch Softball Hall of Fame. He was an Iowa, avid Iowa Hawkeye, Chicago Cubs, and Bears fans. He also enjoyed golfing with friends over the years. Survivors include his wife, Shirley of Dubuque, two children, Michael Tammy Meyer of Madeira Beach, Florida, and Amy Todd Mary of Norcross, Georgia. Seven grandchildren, ten great-grandchildren, sisters Jeanette Schwartz of Dubuque and Betty Tony Callahan of Dubuque, several nieces and nephews. He was preceded in death by his parents, son Gary W. Meyer, grandson Adam Meyer, brothers Jim Ginny Meyer and Leroy Rosie Meyer, sister Pearl Howard Buckley and brother-in-law Frank Schwartz. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to St. Patrick's Catholic Church or the American Legion Post Number 6. A photo tribute can be viewed and condolences sent to the family by visiting Bill's obituary at www.hskfhcares.com. Maria Elena Guerrero. Maria Elena Guerrero Beltran, 82 of Dubuque, Iowa, died peacefully on Thursday, February 2nd, 2023 at Oak Park Place with her loving family members by her side to honor Maria's life. Her celebration of life will be held from 4 to 8 p.m. on Friday, February 10th, 2023 at Grand River Center, 500 Bell Street in Dubuque on the third floor River Room. A mass of Christian burial will be held the following morning, Saturday, February 11th, 2023 at 10.30 a.m. at St. Patrick's Catholic Church, 1425 Iowa Street in Dubuque. Maria Elena Guerrero was more than a loving mother, Grandmother, sister, and friend. She was a teacher, caregiver to children, and lover of life. She was born in Sahuayo, Michoacan, Mexico, and immigrated to the United States with her family at age of 14 and eventually moved to Chicago. She graduated St. Mary's High School in Chicago and soon after became her journey to become a Marinol sister of St. Dominic. She served as a nun for five years in New York before leaving the order for family reasons. Maria Elena had one child. Robert Beltran in 1969 before embarking on a lifelong pledge of service to children in the community. She worked for the state of Illinois, but found her second calling as an educator both at the high school and college level. Her thirst for knowledge is best exemplified by her commitment to complete her master's in education at Loyola University of Chicago at the age of 60. 
While she only had one biological child, she was a foster mother to more than 150 children and teens in the Chicago area for 17 years. She was also a member of the Chicago and Dubuque, Iowa Lions Club and was president twice. She moved to Dubuque, Iowa in 2013 and resided at Bethany Home where she remained active and social and continued to pray a rosary every day with her new family and friends. In April of 2022, Maria, Mary Ellen had to move to Oak Park Place on Dubuque and assisted living community. She survived by her son, Robert, and was abolita to Trinity and Bennett Beltron. She was sister to Alice, Josephine, Stella, Cesar, Carolyn, Lisa, and Martha. Online condolences from Maria's family may be left at www.tristatecremationcenter.com. Glen A. Frederick, Clear Lake, Iowa. Glen A. Freddie Frederick, idiot of Clear Lake, passed away February 5th, 2023 at Mercy One Hospice Inpatient Unit at Mason City, Iowa. A memorial service will be held at a later date. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to Richland Lutheran Church, Thornton, Iowa, and to Mercy One North Ho Iowa Hospice, Mason City, Iowa. Glenn was born August 31, 1934, in the home of his Aunt Minnie and Uncle Roy Frederick near Dubuque, Iowa, the first of eight children of Al and Lucille Kramer Frederick, he grew up in the small town of Durango, Iowa. From kindergarten to eighth grade, he attended a one-room school half mile north of town. He then attended junior high and high school in Dubuque, graduating from Dubuque Senior High in 1952. Glenn did well academically, which he believed was due to the one-room school concept where school students were exposed to a classwork of every grade every year. During high school, he attended Boy State in Des Moines and was selected senior class president. Deciding not to attend college right away, he joined the Navy for four years to see the world. After boot camp in California, he boarded a ship in Virginia. After his service, he looked back on having experienced two Caribbean cruises, a nine-month around-the-world cruise, a Mediterranean-Persian Gulf cruise, and nearly a year of job training in Washington, D.C. Aboard the USS James C. Owens, a destroyer he was involved in the operation of computers and radar that controlled firing certain of the ship's guns. His Navy and time included stops in England, France, Spain, Italy, Ethiopia, Yemen, Tripoli, Bermuda, Havana, Cuba, Philippines, Japan, and Hawaii, plus traveling through the Suez Canal and Panama Canal. After his discharge in 1957, he decided to earn a teaching degree from Wisconsin State University in Platteville and a master's degree in agricultural journalism from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. In between earning the degrees, he taught French and journalism at Platteville College. While there, French arranged a blind date with Dolores Benz, the art teacher at the Platteville Schools. Three months and eight days later, they were married on June 24, 1963. Already a recognized artist, Dolores has been involved in artist groups and adult art instruction and produced hundreds of paintings. By 1970s, they had three children. Lynn, Gregory, and Douglas. He taught more years at high school and college levels than had the experience of publishing two weekly newspapers for four years. The next three decades include teaching and public relations, Agency worked for agricultural companies that included 11 years as a partner at a Cedar Falls, Iowa agency, Freeburg, Frederick, and Associates. At age 13, Glenn said he wanted to write and travel. In addition to many ports of call in the Navy, his years of writing photography for client companies involved travel all across Canada, all the European countries from Italy to Scotland, Mexico, Chile, Venezuela, and 49 U.S. states. The family made many trips during those years, with son Doug having been in 38 states by age 5. Glenn's mother and father-in-law joined them on some trips. After retiring from agency work, he spent the next 18 years of part-time work with some snowbird travel in the winter. A longtime member of Lutheran congregations in Waterloo, 
and Thornton, Iowa. He served both churches as treasurer. He regretted that his travel-oriented work caused him to be away from his wife and children. He missed a good deal of his children's school and growing up activities, was but was proud of their life choices. He was grandpa to their seven children. Glenn is survived by Dolores Bentz, his wife of 59 years, three children, Lynn, Wayden, Robert, Gregory, Frederick, Cheryl, Douglas, Frederick, Tracy, three sisters, Levon, Kathy, Mar, Linda, three brothers, Roger, Ronnie, Jer Jerry, seven grandchildren, and he was preceded in death by his parents and sister, Rebecca. Van War Ward, Vance Light Colonial Chapel, 641-357-2193, colonialchapels.com. Jennifer L. Rue, R-U-H. Galena, Illinois, Jennifer Lynn Rue, 47, Galena, Illinois, passed away unexpectedly Sunday, January 15, 2023. A celebration of life will be held at 7 p.m. on Thursday, February 9, 2023, at the Furlong Funeral Chapel, Galena, where friends may call after 5 p.m. until the time of service. A committal service will be held at noon Friday, February 10, 2023, in St. Michael's Cemetery. Cremation rights have been recorded. She was born November 1, 1975, the daughter of Paul and Sandra O'Rourke Rue. Jennifer attended East Dubuque High School. She loved the rain, live music, dancing, and antiques. She was a loving friend of many and will be deeply missed. She's survived by two daughters, Maisie Sebasta and Sophia Rue Coyle, of both of Dubuque, a grandson, Jaylean Sebasta of Dubuque, and a granddaughter on the way, siblings Timothy Rue of Dubuque, Deborah Mark, Rue Ferguson, and her children, Ashley, Corey, and Justin, all of Waukee, Iowa, Paul Rue Jr. of Galena, and his children, Emily and Jairus, Thomas Rue of Dubuque, and his children, Syra, Elias, Evelyn, and Melissa Rue of Dubuque, and her children, Alexis, Lillian, and Amy. She was preceded in death by her parents. Online condolences may be left at www.forlongchapel.com. Susan E. Zimmerman. Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, Susan E. Zimmerman, 68 of Prairie du Chien, died on February 4, 2023. A celebration of life will be held in the spring. Thomas Grau, Funeral Home and Cremation Service of Prairie du Chien, assisting the family. Ronald J. Hoffman. Ronald John Hoffman, 74, passed away very peacefully on Saturday, February 4, 2023, after bravely battling prostate cancer for nearly 10 years. In his world words, he has, quote, no regrets on his battle over the years. He would often say, it is what it is, and, quote, sometimes you have to, quote, grin and bear it. He always had a smile and a cookie for everyone he met. He never met a stranger and took pride in making sure everyone who stopped by to visit was well hydrated and well fed. He will be missed beyond measure by his family and friends. Visitations will be from 3.30 p.m. until 8 p.m. Tuesday. February 7th, 2023, at Hoffensteiner Kitchen Funeral Hall at Crematory. A prayer service will be held at 7.45 p.m. A massive Christian burial for Ron will be at 10.30 a.m. on Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, at Church of the Resurrection with Father Phil Gibbs as a celebrant. Burial will be at Mount Calvary Cemetery in Dubuque. Military honors will be rendered by the American Legion Post No. 6 and the Iowa Army National Guard. Ron was born November 1, 1948, in Dubuque, Iowa, to Harold and Ruth Buddy Hoffman. He was the oldest of six children. He attended Sacred Heart Waller High School and graduated from senior high school in Dubuque in 1966. He married Elizabeth Beth Bennett on July 11, 1970. He proudly served the United States Army during the Vietnam War from 1968 to 1970. He was stationed in Illesheim, Germany. 
He was beyond proud and honored to be able to take part in honor flight for, to Washington, D.C. on May 23, 1922. 2022. He said that was one of the best trips of his life. He worked at Dubuque Packing Company, FDL and Farmland, for 27 years. He then worked at Orkin Pest Control as a service manager for an additional 15 years. He retired in 2011. Ron and Beth were able to spend several winters in Arizona after retirement. They enjoyed the weather, golfing, and all the friends they made there. Ron loved to be outdoors. Hunting and golfing were two of his favorite activities over the years. He was always busy doing something in his garage or his yard. He thoroughly enjoyed watching his grandchildren, great-grandchildren grow up and watching their many activities over the years was a blessing to him. He survived by his wife of almost 53 years, Elizabeth Beth Hoffman, daughter and son, Tisha, and Terry Bush of Platteville, Wisconsin, seven grand-grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, and most especially his grandpuppy, Molly Mae Bush. He is further survived by five, three of his five siblings, as well as many aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. Those who left this world before Ron will be greeting him with open arms, including his parents, his only son, Ronald Hoffman, J. Hoffman II, younger brothers, brothers-in-law, mother-in-law, father-in-law, and other relatives. The family gives many special thanks to all the friends and family who have been by their side throughout this journey. It means so much to their, their father that everyone has been so loving to him and his family. He has said he had the best neighbors anyone could ask for. You all know who you are. Martha S. Woodewer, Charleston, South Carolina. Maribeth Swanson Woodewer of Charleston, South Carolina passed away on December 14, 2022. Marbeth was an extraordinarily devoted mother of five children and wife of 75 years to Donald H. Wadu. Funeral arrangements are being handled by Stura Funeral Home, Charleston, South Carolina, and Calais Meadowood Funeral Home, Tallahassee, Florida. Funeral service will be held on February 11th at 11 a.m. at the chapel at Bishop Gadsden, 2 Bishop Gadsden Way, Charleston, South Carolina, 29412. At a later date, a committal service will be held in Tallahassee, Florida. Margaret Kircher, Margaret Peg Kircher, 80 of Dubuque, died on Saturday, February 4, 2023. Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 9th at Eagle Hoff Seagard Gasper Funeral Home, Crematory 2659 John F. Kennedy Road. A massive Christian burial will be held at 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 10th at St. Columbco Catholic Church. Gordon R. Bender, Fenimore, Wisconsin. Gordon R. Bender, 88 of Fenimore, died. Saturday, February 4th, 2023. Visitation will be from 9 to 11 a.m. Wednesday, February 8th at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Fenimore, where services will follow. Larson Funeral Home of Fenimore is assisting the family. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thank you very much for listening.